This is the Brothers on Books podcast, the greatest podcast with the best brothers talking about the best books. Please welcome your hosts, Jack and Alex, the Brothers on Books. Smash the like button and subscribe. Karate chop the like button and subscribe. What to do, what to do. This is the Brothers on Books podcast, where we find great books that will give you real value and actionable steps and have fun in the process. Please reach out to us at brothersonbooks at gmail.com for any book recommendations, or if you'd like to be a guest host for a particular book you have in mind. A great review or rating on whichever platform you're listening to would be greatly appreciated. And lastly, do you think of any friend, family member, coworker that might like this episode, please pass it along. For the original episodes, the OGs, please visit brothersonbooks.com. I'm Alex Allwild, and today I'm doing a solo mission. The book I'll be talking about today is Currency Wars by James Rickards, Making of the Next Global Crisis. Just a brief intro on Mr. Rickards. He graduated from Lower Cape May Regional High School. In 1969, he went on to go to John Hopkins, eventually went to law school at the University of Pennsylvania Law School with a specialization in tax. He was an investment banker for a long time. He's a speaker, media commentator. I've seen him debate uh, Peter Schiff a couple of times. He's supposed to just talk about Peter Schiff. He's a large proponent, I guess, of Austrian finances and is very into gold. And he's written, I guess, at this point, seven books. So Currency Wars was published in 2011, and it is the first book he wrote. Some of his other notable books, The Death of Money, 2014, and then he wrote as well as The Run to Ruin in 2016. And he touches on a, a lot of the same topics in all of those books. So to begin with, some of the main things that I jotted down as I was going through this, he highlights really the economic system. And while I thought the key points was everything in a country's economic system is tied to their currency. So like a lot of times, if you read anything, you go and look at Redalio's like all other portfolio, he shifts everything into, I think, five distinct categories. You have bond stocks, housing, commodities, and long-term and short-term debt. But the point is like for that portfolio, like if you have one of those things collapse, the others, they're sort of inversely related. The others will probably pick up. Overall, you're going to be okay. But if the country's currency totally collapse, everything tied to that currency will collapse. So like if the dollar collapses, the stock market, which is denominated in dollars, will also collapse just like the housing market and et cetera. And I think it's important to remember that. Also kind of touches on that countries are constantly sort of detailing their currency, mainly because in the short term, it tends to, to give them an advantage. Probably the best example I've heard of, you know, what this phenomenon is, imagine if you're in a, like a concert or a sports stadium and the person in front of you stands up, what do you then do? You'll then also stand up and then the person behind you will stand up and it will go all the way to the end till everyone's standing up. And at that point, everyone more or less is in the same position, assuming that this is a, a slanted stadium, but now everyone's just uncomfortable because they're standing up. 
So it's sort of the same thing. Countries a lot of times will devalue their currencies, which causes other countries to devalue their currencies. And it just goes round and round till everyone's devaluing their currency and everyone then becomes worse off. Why do countries devalue their currencies? So he brings up one point when uh, Japan had their nuclear scare, and I think the late 2000s, they then needed the yen strong so they could pay for all the debt and all the damage that they had to do. So we as a country, the United States, as well as some other countries, purposely devalued the dollar to make the yen strong so they could buy more. But historically, the reason people will do it is to strengthen their exports. If you devalue your own internal currency, what will happen is that your goods and services will become cheap compared to others. So then people are going to want to buy your what you're making. That will cause sort of business to come to you. But what happens is then everyone else, like I said, does that. So where the exports go, then just kind of cycles around until it gets back around. And then you just devalue your currency again. And you can then no longer buy as much as you once could. The, the most notable example, I think, of this is probably uh, the Weimar Republic in Germany after World War I, when they had massive amounts of debt. So Germany, in order to pay off that debt, just started printing money or printing marks to buy the currency that they had the debt in. This then, of course, led to hyperinflation of the mark. And the eventual, I believe, abandonment of that currency. I, I think I have written out here. In that period of time, the mark to value compared to the dollar, the mark lost a trillionth of its value. So that's obviously bad because the people that are holding marks have essentially had the ability for them to use those marks stolen from them because they, they're now worthless. So this sort of leads into inflation and how, in many regards, inflation is incredibly insidious. So part of the reason for most instances in the short term, governments want inflation. The reason why that is, is it allows them one to take out debt without calling it a tax. So it allows them to get access to the money without saying they're taxing the citizens. That's always beneficial because it allows one, the politicians to get the dollars or whatever currency they're in to do with what they want, which is essentially a tax without calling it a tax. Two, it allows them to actually gain more money. So you get the way inflation works. Well, one, they're the first user of the dollar. So that always gives you an advantage. But two, it causes everyone else to eventually be paid more in nominal terms. So if you have a 5% inflation rate, if you think of it this way, it's everything at just 5%. So if you go from making $100 to $105 per year, you now are being able to tax them on five additional dollars that they weren't before. So the government's getting more money as well as that the tax rates don't adjust for inflation. So if you went to, in a hypothetical situation, let's say you had 100% inflation, let's say you made $100 a year and the tax rate at $100 a year is 20%, but the tax rate at $200 a year is 30%. And let's say the price of good X also doubles. So the price of good X in year one goes from $1. And then in year two, it's $2. So in year one, you make $100. 
and you get taxed at 20%. So you're left with $80. So you can buy 80 units of X. In year two, you're making $200 and you're taxed at 30%. So you're making $140 and you're able to then only buy 70 units of X. So the way this works is people feel they have, they're making more money and they should be richer when in reality, they actually become poorer. So CEO does not speak highly, or James Rickers does not speak highly of the Federal Reserve. As he points out that one of the tenets of the Federal Reserve is to keep a stable dollar. So their initial target rate is inflation rate of 2%. Uh, obviously, in today's climate, that's a joke. Think of the CPI. The last time I checked, it had it at like, I think around 8%, and that's probably low. I would say that's the reasoning for the 2% target rate that I've ever heard was Originally, when we were on a gold standard, I read that the increase in gold usually rose about 2%, which would actually be the inflation rate because inflation is defined as the increase of the money supply. So if gold is actually the money that you're using, if the supply of gold increases by 2%, inflation rate is going to be 2%. So I read that is why they targeted that. But obviously, the Federal Reserve does not keep a... 2% inflation rate, at least in the probably past 10 years. He also furthermore points out that there was no inflation from 1870, I think roughly 1914, when there was no Federal Reserve and we were on a gold standard. He very much, I think, kind of argues to go maybe back to a gold standard. So there are a couple of reasons why that will probably never happen. You lose the flexibility that being able to print dollars just gives you. So the government's never going to by themselves agree to do that. I think we actually briefly touched on that in the dictator's handbook. When you have, when you go into a recession or you have a war, you need to be able to quickly increase your money supply for production. And when you're tied to an actual commodity where you actually have to do work to generate that commodity, you're not really able to do that. So you lose a lot of flexibility, even though I would say from an economic standpoint and for the benefit of the nation. It would be good because you, you make the government be responsible. Like everyone is a citizen. I mean, I, you know, I cannot overspend. Well, I guess technically you could with a credit card, but I do not overspend the amount of money I make every month. So why should the government be able to just indefinitely overspend the amount of money that they bring in in taxes, which is the only real way that they make money. So furthermore, highlights top of the Fed not being able to Keep the inflation. He has this very long anecdote going from when Germany went through hyperinflation of the Weimar and the Weimar Republic, how you had this constant devaluing of the every currency in Europe, leading to the United States devaluing against the dollar, which eventually led to the Brenwoods, where they just said essentially a dollar. You know, the United States will keep the gold. The dollars are, you can redeem U.S. dollars for gold that were whole. So one of the very interesting things was that before FDR came into power, the price of gold was $20 per ounce. FDR then not essentially passed a law that required all citizens to hand in their gold. It said to give confidence to the dollar, to make everyone use dollars. So the dollar had to have confidence in the dollar. So like banks, there wouldn't be runs on banks. But he then proceeded to purposely devalue the dollar from $20 an ounce to $35 an ounce. 
in my opinion, that's incredibly insidious. And I actually, when I read that and when I thought about it, I lost a lot of respect that I once had for FDR. You're stealing 70% of the buying power uh, from your citizens, which is, I think, terrible. I think that's really an awful thing. Like, and people don't even really realize it or talk about it. I think when it comes in terms of money, the most important thing to remember is that a country's wealth is not dependent on the amount of paper dollars or money that it has. It's based on the amount of goods and services that that country is able to produce. The story goes back to, I can't remember what book we were talking about, but I remember Jack and I were discussing a lot of times I feel like people think that when countries start becoming more wealthy, they become more educated. And countries usually become wealthy when they start producing a lot of goods that the world needs. You saw that with the United States in the early you know, 1900s, it became a powerhouse of production. That led to us becoming you know, the most wealthy country in the world. Now we are incredibly educated as a country. We're seeing it now, you're kind of, I believe you're seeing it in China, where China has become a production powerhouse, just sort of makes all the stuff to the world. Now the Chinese, I think, are becoming more educated. It's the same with goods and services. If you produce a lot of goods and services, you are going to be a wealthy country because you're actually making something, you're providing something for the world and money will flow into you and your currency will derive its value from those goods and services. So with that said, the book was Currency Wars, Making of the Next Global Crisis by James Rickards. I enjoyed the book. It was a relatively quick read. So with that said, uh, please reach out to us at brothersonbooks at gmail.com for any book recommendation, or if you would like to be a guest host for a particular book you have in mind, a great review or rating on whichever platform you're listening to would be greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you can think of any friend, family member, or coworker that might like this episode, please pass it along. I'm Alex Alwa, and it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Bye.